Hi, and welcome to the Good Fundraising Podcast, where we speak with nonprofit thought leaders and change makers about what's good in the world of fundraising and what could be better. I'm your host, Alicia Mullenstein. Thanks for joining us today. Between COVID, long overdue social justice reforms, and record unemployment, it's easy to settle for the okay or good enough, but you can still take the reins of your career and make steps towards better. Yes, even now. I'm joined by Amy Coop, a career coach who will share with us some thoughts and frameworks of how to approach professional challenges and change. Amy's had 20 years of experience in the marketing agency world, including six years leading the nonprofit vertical for PMX. A few years ago, she made the move from New York to San Francisco, and she's currently with the Inner Workings Agency. She's a co-active trained career and life coach, taking on a small number of clients and leading workshops on topics like life purpose and career planning. I really do appreciate your time with us. And I was so happy we got to reconnect around this topic too, yeah. because it's one that, um, you know, I've been interested in and I've been working with a coach for like the past nine months myself. And I've, I've just found a lot of value in it. And when I heard that you were on that path, I can see it being a perfect fit, but I was also so excited to get an inside view of, you know, what coaching can be. So Thanks for sharing your your expertise. Oh, absolutely, Alicia. No, it's it's so good to connect with you as well. I was thinking the other day, I think we've known each other for 12 or 13 years now. Yeah, I was going to say, like in full disclosure, you and I have worked together before um, on opposite sides of the table. You yeah. were uh, my partner on LIST. That's right. Yeah, that's been a long time. <laughs> and I think, you know, with me working with a coach and you, you really, you're becoming one. It's just an exciting exciting way to bring that all together for our conversation. I mean, I'm certainly hoping first and foremost, if you can help maybe clear up some misconceptions about what a coach is and who can benefit from a coach. I think some of us, myself included, before I really understood more about it and was working with a coach, thought that you know only misbehaving executives got assigned a coach mm. when they needed to work on their performance. But that's mm. not really true. No, no, it's not. I do think, though, it's it's important to I'm glad you asked the, the big picture question first, because I think there are a lot of misconceptions around the coaching industry. And so I think hopefully we'll get a little bit of time to go into kind of a few of those um, throughout this conversation. But, you know, I, I have a bit of a wry smile on my face um, when you talk about, you know, misbehaving executives. I do think that there was a a sort of a feeling in the past that if you had a difficult employee, you bring in a coach, that coach kind of can fix that person. Um, and then everybody sort of goes on their merry way. There's been a really big change, I think, in how coaching is seen both by the coaching industry, as well as just everyday people and organizations. Um, and a change for the positive, I think, in that um, it's viewed as something akin more to a sports coach where it's really seen as a way to optimize a person's potential. And in the case of a career coach, it's optimizing either potential within an existing environment or um, helping somebody to make a change in some way. So, so, you know, a career coach specifically is someone who supports anyone looking to make a change in, in their work life whether that be better navigating a challenging situation at work, looking for a promotion or a lateral move, a career pivot, um, or even just looking to get more satisfaction out of an existing role or situation. You know, I, I had to chuckle a little bit um, about the misbehaving executives reference. 
because it's true that in the past career coaching, I think had been seen. I had my first career coach probably 15 years ago. And at that time it was this very small niche area where it was often, you know, a leadership team or a, a boss would have difficulty working with a certain employee and so say, well, let's bring in some outside help and let's, let's have somebody, you know, sort of meet with that person and sort of try to fix what's, what's happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's really changed, um, more recently for the better, um, as coaching has become more well-known, I think as there have become more and more, you know, coaches in the industry and people have had more exposure to understand that the power of coaching is really beyond sort of in this word fixing is a little bit of a trigger for me because the training that that I've had is is very much oriented towards looking at my clients as naturally creative, resourceful and whole. You know, I'm not here to really fix anything as much as to support someone um, in their journey around looking to make a change. So in the case of career coaching, and I do both personal development coaching that's that's not career oriented and also career coaching so we'll kind of focus the conversation on the on the career coaching really my purpose as a coach or you know my view of a coach's uh, purpose is to yes offer tools and advice but really it's the gift of coaching is is providing the space for the client to explore what they want and what's holding them back and as you know, I've benefited from coaching over the years myself personally, and as, as I've become recently trained in coaching, it's just amazing to me the power of the, the gift of the space and focus that a coaching engagement can give and how rare it is um, for us to, you know, to really give ourselves that. I couldn't agree with that more about that gift of space. I think it's, it's so difficult to make the time to really delve into those issues. And when we do, we often don't feel comfortable doing it at work. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily questions that you might feel comfortable or wise to bring to your HR department or your boss, particularly if what you need, what you need development or improvement on is your relationship with your boss. That's Mm -hmm. not really a conversation to have without doing the, the groundwork leading up to it. And I will tell you from, you know, my experience as well, that having that space on the calendar and the dedicated time to do it, it makes it far less likely for me to push it off Mm -hmm. and gives me a safe space where my husband's not hearing the same thing every time, or my close friends aren't hearing the same thing every time. (laughs) It's a neutral party, which has been really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a huge part of it. And there's a, I think you're kind of touching on an accountability aspect Mm. as well. You know, having that time on the calendar, you've, you've blocked that out for yourself and you've also made that commitment to work on that thing that you've deemed to be important. Well, I really want to hear about your training and some of the tools you learned, but perhaps before we get into that, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what a coaching partnership looks like? Mm, Yeah, definitely. So I'm glad you called it a partnership um, actually, because, you know, that's exactly what it is and the way that I've been trained and what I've seen to be successful is a, a partnership where the, there's a co-creation of of that space uh, that we're operating in. So as a coach, I share with my clients my philosophy of coaching, and I ask them questions about how they can best be supported, things like, what would it be like to know that you can meet this challenge? 
my clients are the experts on themselves. So they know how they react in stressful situations or in um, even in situations where, where they're celebrating something. So I like to get really clear on asking my clients, if you're stuck, what are the things that have typically worked to get you unstuck? And then using those as we go through the coaching journey together, as we explore some of those areas where there might be some stuckness, if you will, I can be a bit of a witness and a, and a, and a guide and a partner to kind of remind you of your strength and your ability to get unstuck in that, you know, sort of objective way, like you mentioned. You know, there's also a, I think it's important to make a distinction as, as the coaching profession evolves, I think it's important to make a distinction between uh, coaching and consulting. Um, and there are many um, coaching partnerships that involve a little bit of both. For example, I currently have a client who's looking to get promoted. So in our co-created approach, um, we, have, we have really two kind of parallel paths. So one is I'm helping him lay out his case for his promotion plan his conversations with peers and his managers, and a plan to build skills gaps. So all of that is more of a consulting aspect of the relationship. Where the coaching aspect comes in, and they really live side by side, are around some of the limiting beliefs he has in terms of his ability to, his ability to do the job at the next level. And that those limiting beliefs really influence the way you know, we all show up at work. And helping him understand that his mindset around those beliefs is impacting how his his boss and his peers and others are perceiving his his readiness for promotion. I feel like that is part of the equation that is so often overlooked when we talk about career advancement. That you know, if you were if you were looking at it stereotypically for the way you would approach that conversation with your boss, you would go in with a laundry list of all the accomplishments and what you mm -hmm. brought to the organization, and it would be very transactional, right? And you wouldn't even be touching on that part of the equation of only be looking at it as the qualifications on your CV today. Yeah, exactly. That's where, you know, the coaching dynamic as it, as it evolves and as organizations come to understand the value of coaching so that ideal scenario and I have one of these right now and I'm just I'm feeling so fortunate because it's it's somewhat rare um, but I'm coaching someone at the same time I'm coaching that person's manager who brought me in coaching him on some of the unconscious bias that he brings into the relationship in evaluating the way that person shows up at work so it's been this really really eye-opening and really powerful um, dynamic that's that's had a lot of different layers um, and goes beyond the exactly what you said the transactional piece where I think we've just kind of default focused for so long and missed so much nuance and so much potential. Well, that is incredibly timely training to bring to the table mm. at the moment. I think with with everyone sort of unpacking their unconscious bias, particularly in leadership roles. Mm -hmm. uh, because that that just has so many layers. So you've gone through this this extensive training, and clearly you're already putting it into practice. But could you you know maybe talk briefly about what are some of the things that you cover as part of the training to be a coach? Yeah. So my program um, specifically, I'm trained through the Coactive uh, Training Institute in San Francisco, uh, which is one of the largest uh, and oldest coaching training programs. You know, to call yourself a coach doesn't necessarily require any sort of um, formal training. 
there is a, there's an association called the International Coaching Federation, which does accredit programs. And uh, once you've completed an accredited program, then you can apply to become a certified coach through the ICF. But there are, you know, there are one day programs or online workshops all the way to, I think the Coactive Training Institute um, is probably one of the more comprehensive. And that involves um, kind of two pieces. One is a little over 100 classroom hours, followed by um, 100 hours of supervised coaching. And through the classroom hours, we learn, um, we learn techniques to help our clients uh, examine uh, the perspective that they're bringing to a situation. In some cases, you know, one of the most eye-opening things is to help a client realize that they are bringing a perspective to a situation um, just by the language that they use and the, 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 the way that they're telling stories about a situation that involves um, some previous history that may not even be related to the situation. So kind of helping, helping a client understand um, understanding the bias and the baggage that they're bringing um, to a situation and then using some techniques to help them look at some other perspectives to potentially evaluate that situation. And what that does is kind of just helps break the cycle of some of that, you know, storytelling that I think we can all sort of get so, so wrapped up in. So a lot of the training really focuses on looking at this point in time forward. So not as much coaching as, you know, if you, if you look to distinguish coaching from, um, from, from counseling or from psychotherapy in a nutshell, coaching is really focused on the present forward and counseling or, or, or therapy can often be focused on looking at the past. So a lot of the techniques that we use um, in, the, in the coaching framework uh, that I've been trained in is really how do we understand our perspective at this moment in time and look for ways to change that in, in, in ways that serve us better. That's a really helpful distinction um, as well, thinking about the difference between, you said before, coaching and um, being a consultant, but also, you know, coaching and therapy. Mm -hmm. It's a different, it's a slightly different toolkit. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that is, that's probably the best description I've heard about looking forward as opposed to evaluating what's in the past. There certainly might be lessons or, again, some of those limiting beliefs that come up in the conversations, but it's, it's all about applying it going forward and not rehashing everything. <laughs> it's, there's a, it's a fine line, right? There is some value in really processing through emotions, and that's another thing that, that we train through this program. So it's not to mm. discount the energy that comes into you know, some potentially very negative um, feelings, but rather to sort of channel that energy into something that, and I won't even use the term as more positive. I like to think about something that serves you better. That That is incredibly helpful. Thank you for clarifying that. So part of the reason, Amy, that I thought this was a good time to have this this conversation in particular is that with COVID and everyone having their work lives and their home lives just turned completely upside down. And now with you know, other factors out there with unrest that we're seeing. I think a lot of people have been reevaluating what they mm -hmm. want from their lives and work is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. uh, I've certainly seen a share of articles out there across different media outlets on the topic. So, you know, some people reevaluating a horrible commute that they had or finding that remote work has been a huge time saver and they don't have to be in the open office plan. That was a nightmare for them mm -hmm. and made it really hard for them to work. 
But, you know, thinking about changing either your job altogether or asking for circumstances of your job to be permanently changed in the midst of a pandemic, it can be a little overwhelming and exhausting. And I was thinking, you know, can you as a coach maybe help us frame this problem um, Mm -hmm. or share some tools that would be helpful for someone who's, who's thinking about this right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. It's a, it's a big one right now. I can't think of a single person in my life, let alone clients who aren't re-examining what normal looks like and what parts of their prior life they really want back in their life and, and what they want um, to change moving forward. But it is, it is a challenging economic situation. So there's, there's definitely a a balance. And I think what, I mean, I'll just, for an example, I'm, I'm working with two clients right now who for different reasons um, have decided that now is the time to make a change. They've been, you know, been kind of thinking about in the back of their mind for, for a number of years. And so, you know, one technique I use with them is, is a series of exercises, um, some of them visualization, some journaling exercises to help them get really clear about their values and life purpose and then set about developing a series of life plans. So we do some kind of workshopping together and then prototype some experiences from those life plans that are rooted in their values and life purpose to learn about other possible career paths. So it's a way to help my clients feel like they're they're putting some energy towards exploring something new without taking a big risk um, in the short term. Those life plans, um, I mean, that seems perfect for the moment as well, because right now, none of us can stick with plan A Mm -hmm. or even plan B. I I mean, when I think back a month ago to some of the decisions that we were trying to make as a family, we literally had them as, okay, can't do plan B, on to plan C. Oh, plan C's Mm -hmm. out the door, go to plan D. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And so it's this ability to think very iteratively, um, sort of an agile mindset. You know, there's some really, really great work coming out of the um, Stanford Design Lab work a couple of professors there are doing um, in marrying, you know, design thinking with solving the challenge of, you know, what do I do with my life, either from a, you know, vocation or a career perspective, or, or from a personal satisfaction perspective. And the, and the principles that that work is based on are a bias to action. Um, so just doing something, right? That, that energy behind doing something just has such value in all areas of life and just really can help a person who's feeling stuck start to feel a little unstuck. And then it's a bit of a virtuous cycle around that. So the bias to action is big. The prototyping is just little experiments, just small experiments that are almost designed to fail, but fail forward and radical collaboration. So this idea of, you know, pulling together your design team for your future life and letting other people kind of help you explore things about yourself that, that maybe you have a bit of a blind spot around, which, you know, essentially coaching is a lot of what that offers. Um, no matter how smart or talented or, you know, evolved a person is, they're never going to be able to see themselves, I think, as clearly as they would probably like to. So some of the things that I, that I talk to my clients on and have run some workshops around is helping people get a group of people together with that kind of positive bias to action energy. And the results can be really pretty magical. 
Well, I'm just thinking about that in the context of, you know, leading a team mm. and bringing that energy into the room. If you practice it yourself as a leader with having a bias toward action and helping lead people through just some basic prototyping. When I think about the big decisions that you might have to make, especially now on, you know, a fundraising program or in a nonprofit overall with how they're going to be delivering their services, which might have to completely change. Mm -hmm. Just having that groundwork in place and that energy in the room would be so huge to not getting paralyzed by the moment, taking a decision, the next best decision, and then building from there. That's right. And it's really, it's a muscle. Um, I know you talk about uh, in your, in your uh, kickoff to this podcast series, you talked about sort of organizational muscle memory. And it is, it's a thing. It's real. I mean, there actually is extensive amount of research, the physiology behind the way our brains are wired and how we bring these ways of working and ways of being. And then they, 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 inf they infiltrate the, the ecosystem of the organization and create patterns. And sometimes those patterns are, are great and they serve us. And some of those patterns don't serve us well. So it's all possible to change. Becoming aware of it is such a key first part. And then having some small contingency plans and ways of sort of rethinking those, those patterns of the way we solve problems, the way we, um, the way we work with each other. No, absolutely. And it is super powerful to have even one or two people in the room with that approach and that mindset. And it can definitely shift the dynamic of that groupthink mm. <laughs> that we can sometimes get into in a negative space. But it can also be really frustrating if you're doing that work and trying to get your mindset into a place where you're putting better energy into your work and you're trying to be proactive and the organizational culture doesn't feel like it's keeping up. So mm -hmm. Are there ways that entire organizations or teams can get coached or benefit from coaching as a larger group? Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, we're seeing more organizations um, actually develop internal coaching teams. So there are a few of, of my colleagues from the Coactive Training Institute who are actually part of teams of, you know, 20 to 30 people that operate with, within typically large organizations that run ongoing training programs. So ongoing workshops and one-on-one um, -on -one work. Um, and they're actually sort of, they operate as an extension of the human resources department. So that is a trend that I think that I hope and, and I think will, will continue um, and expand. And it's, you know, as much as I think that having a person being coached one-on-one -on -one has a tremendous amount of value, there's no substitute for having you know, that, that energy be something that, that an entire organization is kind of, you know, wrapping itself around having that common language, having that understanding and those common tools is, is something that I really hope um, becomes a bigger part of an organization's roadmap and priority. I hope so. I hope that that item doesn't end up, you know, first on the chopping block with, with companies making cuts, because I can just see it having such long-term benefits. Mm-hmm. Or an organization, um, but let's say that you're you're in the majority of people whose organizations aren't making that investment yet. But you're you're doing the work. You're looking into tools to uh, you have a clearer idea of what you want to change with your work situation. But you know, unemployment is so high, and the forecasts are so dire that you know, many people are scared about rocking the boat at work, mm -hmm. even if they're really unhappy. And I think there's a sense from a lot of people if they lay low, it will keep them secure. 
um, even if they're miserable. So, mm. you know, with your coaching hat on, how would you help someone with that mindset? Yeah, I think, um, I think there's a difference between laying low in terms of just accepting the status quo and um, doing something that will help you as an individual, us as individuals, bring a more better serving mindset um, to our work environments. You know, I just, there's a, there's a, a great quote by Albert Einstein, which is that the, the single most important decision any of us will ever make is whether or not to believe that the universe is friendly. And I translate that to, um, to the workplace um, in terms of, you know, using some of the, the tools that we've talked about relative to um, some of the design thinking, some of the values and life purpose work, and, and quite frankly, you know, challenging some of, those, some of those limiting beliefs and challenging the way that we think about our relationship to other people. So for example, I used to have, personally, I used to have a very contentious relationship with one of my peers. Um, it caused me a lot of anxiety and stress. Um, and it was frankly starting to impact my performance. And, um, and I was seriously considering leaving the organization over it. When I started working with my coach, um, and I strongly believe that, you know, coaches need coaches, um, because we all have blind spots. But when I started, when I started focusing, um, with the support of my coach on what I could control, um, which is really the way I saw the situation, um, which is including, which included understanding that, you know, my coworker's behavior was a reaction to her own worldview and wasn't, you know, a personal, um, to me, it, as easy as it sounds, as hard as it is to implement, as simple as it sounds, but hard to implement, it really, it changed everything about not only the way I showed up with this colleague, but really how I was showing up at work overall. It just, you know, it took all the air out of that anxiety balloon and it gave me so much more energy back for myself to focus on other things. And then I found that those other things that I had was able to start focusing on really started flourishing. It is amazing how much of the how much energy in that mindset it just takes up. It sucks all the air out for yourself too. It's really depleting to live in that constant heightened state. Um, so if the if changing your mindset can give you back that space, how amazing! Yeah, thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've talked, we've talked about some really big things, right? Like big life, life-changing decisions, um, overhauls, looking at your, your happiness with your work or your line of work. But what about those smaller day-to-day -day challenges? I think you actually probably just spoke to one in that mm -hmm. example, but even a level down from that. So things like you know, working on improving your comfort level speaking or leading your team or, taking points on a project, can coaching work with those smaller things too? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it, I, I think that's what coaching does is, you know, there's certainly a, a, a big agenda. So there's typically a, a topic that, that a client will come to me and say, you know, there's, there's a goal that's typically a, you know, three to nine month type goal, um, which could include, you know, making a career pivot or getting a promotion or, 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 um, you know, or something along that magnitude. But what typically happens is, you know, beneath that are these questions that or these challenges that show up every day, things like, 
you know, how do I, how do I lead my team in the best way through um, a challenging situation? How do I, how do I have a voice in, in the workplace um, that feels comfortable for me? And, you know, I work with actually quite a few women in particular and female executives around, um, around finding their voice. And what I often find is that the way to, um, to find a path that better serves, better serves a person is really in understanding the stories we tell ourselves that leave us less likely to use our voice and then actively rewriting those stories um, so they serve us better. And I'm, I'm not gonna say that that's easy work, but sort of back to that muscle memory that we were talking about earlier, it really, with conscious effort, I've, I've seen the, the, the success come from diligence around being conscious to those stories that we're telling ourselves that impact the way we see, way we see other people interact with us and the way that we're comfortable interacting with others, including kind of having our voice that, that can be pretty pretty life-changing um, when that recognition is is made and when the conscious effort is made to kind of rewire and remap and use different muscles. Absolutely. And, you know, doing the work is really hard and it's deeply uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but I think just like that muscle memory, it, the process of being open to it and going through it is a bit easier as you go. The more you get comfortable with being uncomfortable, yes, the easier delving into the hard stuff is. Absolutely, yeah. And there's, you know, something else that I've been exposed to recently, which was which was really kind of game changing for me, is um, the work um, of Carol Dweck in uh, uh, growth mindset, growth versus fixed mindset, and that comes up in the workplace a lot as it relates to ability to effectively give and receive feedback. And so just kind of in a nutshell, the growth mindset, um, a person believes that their abilities can grow. And so uh, feedback is seen as a chance to learn and improve. With a fixed mindset, a person sees their abilities as fixed and so um, and not changeable and, and not you know malleable. So when a person with a fixed mindset gets feedback, um, it's very hurtful because it's it can be seen almost as indict as an indictment of their worth. And it's what's really interesting is that through through the research that that quick Carol Dweck has has done, and I highly, highly recommend the book. I think you probably put it in the show notes. Through the research that she's done, it's possible to cultivate a growth mindset. I think that's the most important thing um, to know is that the that's something that is highly within our power to change, but also that it's often, you know, high achievers or those who were very successful early on, got straight A's, for example, that were celebrated for their smartness or their intelligence. And so they learned to map their identity to that. And then it became this thing that they had to almost protect. So it's really fascinating, but that's been something for me that's been very, very eye-opening and very powerful to me for me to be aware of that and able to consciously control my reactions based on my knowledge of the decision to have that growth mindset. Yeah, that hits close to home. Um, I can't... <laughs> Certainly for me, and I can think of about half a dozen other people in my life that also fit that description pretty well. Um, well, this has been so helpful and so interesting, Amy. 
If people are interested in learning more, find some resources, what can you recommend? Yeah. Um, so in terms of, uh, you know, if you're interested in working with a coach, um, you know, could certainly um, check out uh, my, my website at mindsetpilots.com. Uh, or the, I mentioned earlier, the International Coaching Federation, um, they have a coach finder function on their website, um, as well as some really good videos that give an overview of what is coaching, what can coaching do, what's a good coaching relationship look like. So if anybody's thinking of engaging with a coach, especially for the first time, I would, I would point them to the uh, International Coaching Federation website. Um, I mentioned design thinking earlier and the work out of Stanford. So the, uh, there's a great book by, um, by a couple of professors out of Stanford called Designing Your Life. I also really like uh, Gretchen Rubin's work. She's the author of The Happiness Project. And she also have, has, a, um, has a great blog and podcast. Of course, Brene Brown, um, who many people have, have probably heard of her, her TED Talks. She's got a new podcast out I highly, highly recommend if the if the growth mindset thing kind of spoke to you, I would recommend um, her book, The Gifts of Imperfection. There's another book that was really, really um, meaningful for me in my journey. It's called Positive Intelligence by a gentleman named Shirzad Shamin. And the last thing, and once you start kind of looking into those things, you'll find yourself kind of being, the, the, the rabbit hole is deep around um, <laughs> around this this type of thing on on the internet. So, um, so, so do be, do be careful, set a timer, but I would just go back also to just being cognizant of your inner talk track. And I guess I say not believe everything you tell yourself. Um, especially if those things that you might be telling yourself don't seem to be serving you and are finding you sort of, um, triggering negative feelings or negative thoughts. You don't have to keep having them as simple as that sounds. Um, and the last thing I'll mention around just kind of, you know, key takeaways um, is uh, meditation, guided meditation. So I was always of the mindset that, oh, my mind is too busy. I've got a squirrel brain. There is no way I'm going to be able to not think about anything for even three seconds. The more I looked into meditation and started using, um, I use the Calm app. Um, I also use Headspace. So there's lots of good apps out there. And what they really helped open my eyes to is that meditation isn't about trying to um, stop your brain from thinking, but more about getting a little bit more control about how those thoughts can grab a hold of you. And so through... You know, I've had a conscious meditation practice for the past six months, and it's made a significant difference in my ability to just get a little bit of space between a gut reaction or a thought and then that emotion, that sort of tidal wave of emotion. Oh, that's great. Um, I know for me, the 10% Happier app is really great. Dan Harris from ABC News has started the app, but he also has two great books on meditation in particular, 10% Happier and meditation for fidgety skeptics. So if you are a fidgety skeptic, it's a good entry into um, the benefits from someone who, who also was. And Shiraz Shamin has, a, I think, a TED Talk on some of the saboteurs that we can bring into our professional lives, which is really great too. He does. So we have a lot of things, yeah. a lot of things to put in the show notes, but thank you for such an extensive and amazing list. So Thank you. I appreciate that. And I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you about this. I could chat all day. So thank you for asking such wonderful questions. 
Thanks so much to Amy Coop for joining us today. You can find a full list of the resources we discussed in the show notes or at goodfundraising.net slash podcast under episode four. If you have an idea for a topic, shoot me an email at hello at goodfundraising.net. Thanks again for joining us. Until next time, remember to be nice and do good.